0: Welcome to Talent X,
1: the talent experience podcast featuring authentic conversations on the future of work,
0: empowering you to better understand and deliver a best in class, future proofed career experience.
1: For more insightful conversations, visit talentexpodcast.com.
0: We hope you enjoy this episode of the Talent X podcast.
1: Hello, I'm John Holland, and welcome to Talent X, the talent experience podcast. Today's guest is Matt Thomas. Matt is a senior human resource executive with more than 20 years of generalist HR experience, leading teams in the delivery of transformational change, people strategy, building high performing leadership teams and culture, HR digital transformations and building leading edge employee experiences. For the past eight years, Matt held the position of GM people and culture at racing and wagering Western Australia transforming the people space from a traditional operation to a innovative and strategic one. And he's currently consulting other companies to help them achieve similar success. In addition, Matt currently chairs the Future Now board, which is the largest training council in Western Australia responsible for the creative, leisure, and technology industries. He's also a regular guest speaker at Curtin University for HR and MBA students, as well as an HR disruptor at HR think tanks. Matt also says that he's pretty passionate about giving back to a profession that has done so much for him. So for the past four years, he's mentored a half dozen mentees through the Australian Human Resources Institute mentoring program. Matt, you are busy, that's a lot.
0: How are you doing? I'm pretty good, thanks, Sean. Yes, there's there's definitely an enriching time I've had over the last, especially last 10 years.
1: I bet. You know, I've worked with a great many human resource professionals, and I've written a lot about the ebb and flow of HR practices, but I've never really had a guest with the HR background you have on a X podcast. So this is a wonderful opportunity to get some well-needed perspective. Fantastic. Thanks, John. <laughs> so let's get started. I hate to always inject the global pandemic and lockdown into a discussion, but it's the defining event of the century so far and perhaps in our lifetimes. So let me ask you, what do you think are the most important things HR has learned over the past 15 months? And what is important for us moving ahead, both for HR and for the organizations we work with?
0: Yeah, look, it's still such a relevant and and relevant topic for um, most organizations. A pandemic even experiencing in Australia, we're very fortunate um, in the sense that we weren't too impacted. But, um, you know, recently we were just put on a three-day lockdown ourselves because of a quarantine breach. So it just showed you just how relevant and how long-lasting it's still going to be a factor, I suppose, within organisations. I think um, for us as an organisation, the last 15 months was pretty um, telling on many fronts. Um, we had as a business ourselves had actually been going through quite a bit of change through privatisation, and as we know most organizations are going through some sort of disruption and I think COVID just added another level of complexity for us Um, what I'd say the key learnings for me from a HR perspective was very much around the resilience of the workforce Um, you know the ability to actually um, be agile and nimble, and and be able to chat, take on the challenges that were actually presented at the time, in a fairly confronting space for a lot of people, um, was quite, um, uh, what would I say, it was quite eye-opening for our perspective because um, we had already been through quite a lot of change. Um, and I think one of the things that was really quite poignant for me was actually around the type of mindsets that actually were needed to actually navigate through that time. We talk a lot about skills um, that actually were started to evolve over that 15, or over that period of time. But I think what was more telling was the mindsets that actually needed to change to actually adapt to a fairly new environment where Maybe what got you to where you got to now wasn't going to get you where you needed to moving forward. Um, I think uh, from a HR perspective, I think the ability for us to actually make sure we were engaging with the you know the key stakeholders and leaders in the business was really important to actually support them. Because the reality is as we know is um, when you go through change like this, people are impacted in very different ways. So one size fits all ne- didn't necessarily work. And I think it was also about... Um, knowing the fact that you didn't have all the answers you were very reliant on people's feedback and to be actually authentic about actually saying we don't have all the answers we need you to help us guide us through this process was one of the key things that we learned very quickly um, that actually helped support our strategy um, moving forward. I think you know the power of communication was pretty important you know there's always that polarizing topic not enough too much not the right format, the right way. I think we took the approach that communication was very critical. So I'd rather go hard and be told we gave too much than necessarily not enough in that particular time because of all the challenges. But I think, you know, whenever there is adversity, there's always great learnings and lessons for organizations. And you know, I'm sure you'd agree, John. You don't. You shouldn't have to go through that process in the first place to have those learnings. But the fact is, we did, and it was out of our control. And it was very important for us to learn from that as well. I think moving forward, what we've probably learned from a HR and organisation perspective is that flexible work practices and um, employee wellbeing are no longer a nice to have for an organisation. They are critical, and they are critical in the sense of how they enable businesses. Um, to be able to navigate, you know, these times where it requires a different focus in a different direction. I think, um, you know, we were one of those organisations that wanted to really push into the flexible work process before, practices before, but there was an engagement at the top um, and it basically um, semi I suppose, the ability to be able to do it. And, you know, obviously, like many organizations, we had no choice and we actually saw the benefits, which I always kind of deep down knew would be the case. But, you know, the reality is, is that it took that actual moment for us to actually achieve that.
1: You know, uh, it's funny, you talk about mindset. Um, one of the things that really surprised me a little bit, although this happens when people are sort of up against a wall and don't have maybe all the options they would like. But the mindset about remote work so Mm -hmm. dramatically changed here in the States, especially. And my sense is most of the English speaking world had changed um, where my experience was companies were pushing back against that. They were, the change they'd made in letting people do it was incremental. And then suddenly when, hey, we are gonna need to have our workforce working remotely, in part, or the whole group of them, um, suddenly, companies and organizations dramatically changed, and suddenly their mindset changed. So um, I was surprised by that. I'm not sure if that's what you experienced in Australia. Certainly, that's what we experienced up here in the States.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's interesting how it then evolved from that initial, you know, start of having to change a workforce dynamic, to you know, going from no people or everyone in the office to no one in the office, except we had certain roles where they actually had to stay in the office. So it was a very challenging time. They felt like they were the um, they were being disadvantaged, uh, not being treated the same way because there was such a focus on those that actually were not working in the office. So you had to kind of balance that and understand the impact of that. But I think um, where we got to towards the end of it was that. Um, you know, we almost said that as long as people were in the office at least two days a week, we weren't concerned about what, if they wanted to spend um, all days in the week, that was fine, but as long as there was a minimum of two days in the office. And it became really interesting to see how organisations navigate that because there was a lot of organisations that said you could work from home the whole time and we lost people um, to different organisations for that. But that wouldn't be a model that necessary at that stage in our business would actually be supportive of what we needed to from a business perspective. So it's very much a... You you know, you have to actually, it's not something you can set in stone and in concrete. It has to be something that evolves through the time.
1: Matt, we were talking about this earlier, but I noticed on your LinkedIn profile that you talk about things like transformational change and building a high performance culture. Are those things even more important today as we try to navigate this new world of work?
0: Absolutely, John. I think if you think about business success and business performance, there's a direct correlation to an organizational culture and obviously the people that drive it. You know, without people, typically businesses don't perform. And if you think about the disruptive nature, I suppose, of the world that we've been in and the impact it has had on a lot of organizations um, in regards to, you know, that sort of survival mode that they've had to sit in while they've waited to, you know, to navigate through whatever challenges they've had that COVID have presented. I think, you know, most organisations that are still around are now having to shift very quickly from that survival mode mode into almost the growth mindset or growth mode. And so, you know, um, a high-performing culture is obviously an enabler of that even more so. Um, You know, you need people that effectively are very clear around what the business objectives are, the strategic direction, um, and how they can actually contribute and work towards that. Um, But at the same time, it's about making sure they've got all the sorts of peripheral stuff like tools to do their job, that they have the opportunity to feel like they work in a culture where there is innovation it is okay to take risks, um, recognise for effort. And to me, that's kind of some of the sort of um, key requirements of a a uh, high-performing culture. I think, you know, um, the culture, the high-performing culture may look very different in today's world though. Um, You know, different areas of focus. If you think about what, uh, <clears throat> COVID's brought on about the um, enabling a workforce remotely. So, high performance culture might have a different correlation. But it, it, either way, if an organization is having to actually go from a survival to a growth mindset, it absolutely requires transformation. And that's where that transformation piece definitely comes in. I always think, you know, in today's world, where you got what got you to where you are now is not necessarily going to get you where you need moving forward. And that's why it's really important that that transformational piece works as well um, in line with a high performing culture. You know, I use the, the synergy of the, you know, these days when you start looking at new tech, for instance, what's new today, probably in a month's time is going to be obsolete. So how do you actually be keep that continuous loop of actually assessing things that are actually going to add value to, whether it's about efficiencies, it's around experiences, whether it's to do with the customers. I think um, businesses will only succeed when they continually find ways of adapting because of um, new technology, new ways of working, new mindsets.
1: Uh, do you think it's hard for HR to sort of step to the forefront and take that role to sort of help drive the change? Because I don't know how things are are in your world, but here in the States, I've dealt with a lot with HR people and they very much um, are very rule-based, you know, gotta have the rules, gotta follow the rules, it's compliance, all of these things. And a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here kind of had to get made made up on the fly, um, yeah. which I don't think, at least from the HR people, I know up here, is particularly their strong suit. So yeah. what, what's your take on that?
0: Yeah, look, I don't think we're any different. Over in Australia, there's, there's always a view that HR is the police, um, you know, and we, we tend to hide behind policies and rules. And my view has always been that those rules and policies are there as a framework, as a boundary, um, and generally most of the time we create the policies, so we can always rechange them to some degree but it's about not hiding behind them um, sometimes they are absolutely critical in, in protecting risk and organisational reputational brand etc but I think HR plays a significant role in not necessarily us driving because where I've seen success really cut through is when you actually enable others and almost like the HR is the puppet master if I use that sort of reference in a sense that we're enabling others to drive the change because when leadership or employees drive the change that you're looking for nine times out of ten it was more likely to be adopted and embraced within the organisation as opposed to HR telling you that this is what you should do because it's the right thing to do and I think um, that was probably one of the lessons, again, or learnings as part of this whole change over the last 15 months. We, we had a pretty good, I, I sat on the executive, so I had, a, I had a say at the table. We had a pretty good reputation around the value that we add. I think it just probably reinforced the, the value even more in regards to um, the whole experience of COVID and, and for us even privatisation in the sense of um, the value that we can bring in enabling rather than doing, I think is the key thing.
1: That's a really important point that sometimes, the value that HR brings is appreciated the most when you have a crisis like we all had. Mm -hmm. Um, and HR has to step up. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times the human resource function doesn't get a lot of credit for all the things that they do because they're behind the scenes a a lot. And here's one where they had to really, really step up and out in the public eye and be seen for, Hey, what are you going to do to help keep our business, working and together and moving ahead, even if all the people aren't in the same place.
0: Absolutely. Yep, absolutely.
1: Hey, uh, let's talk about something else that may have changed in the past year, employee experience. Uh, It seems like a lot of organizations have finally woken up to the fact that they need to do a lot more with and for their workers. Things like helping them to reskill or retrain so they can be more flexible and agile and useful to to the business. It's great that this is finally happening, but a bit sad that it took a huge global shakeup to do it. What's your perspective about that?
0: Yeah, I agree in the sense that, you know, again, sometimes adversity provides learning opportunities. And, you know, the reality is it's actually opened up a door that opened eyes up to an area that actually, I think is one of the most critical things in organizations moving forward. Um, as you already read and mentioned, um, John, I'm pretty passionate about the employee experience. I think I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, I was talking about employee experience back in the last QX, um conference in Sydney in 2019 and I think we take we've taken a pretty big shift because the focus has always been on employee engagement um, and for me employee experience drives engagement. So we took a, cons- a considerable shift around how we looked at um, the things that we did was more around experience, not trying to focus on the engagement. So I think, um, for me, employee experience has definitely become more of a um, relevant and aware topic or a function that needs to be explored within organisations. For us, of our three strategic pillars, one of the strategic pillars was employee experience. That's how critical it was for us in the organisation. But it means many things to people and I think that was part of the journey that we learnt. And for me, I always also put into the fact that candidate experience is just as important as employee experience. They're actually intricately linked. Um, you know, employee experience talks about the impact and the, all the sorts of things that sit underneath that from an employee experience, but you're also in a world of talent, all this talent um, and um, attract, trying to attract key talent, the candidate experience is also an opportunity where you drive the same experience before they've even considered you as an employer. I think, <clears throat> yeah, so when I think about employee experience, it's very much everything from, you know, people about having a voice around their, within their team, it's about having the skill, being able to identify the skills which they may not even realise they have. Um, and how they actually want to develop that. It's that career path and perspective. It's creating environments where they feel inclusive and can be their true self. And it's all the other practical things around, you know, the work set up, you know, now you throw remote in. So obviously there's a different sort of concept there that you have to consider. But I think I know definitely from our experience um, when we were actually getting high scores and employee experience we, we could see the, the the i suppose the benefits not just from an engagement perspective but also from a performance and productivity perspective and also directly correlated to our customer experience as well so I think It's absolutely opened the eyes to a lot of organizations, but there's the risk that people will see that as a tokenistic approach. And it's really important to understand that if you go in this with a very tokenistic approach, you'll be caught out pretty quickly because employees wanna see authenticity when they're dealing with their employer in regards to the experience that they create for them in the workplace.
1: Well, and that's something else I believe um, came front and center that authenticity piece during the lockdown. Um, companies had to really sort of be straight with their employees about what's going to happen, you know, how's your job going to be, can you do this, and um, that. Um, How difficult is it for HR to manage remote employees? I've got to think it's a pretty big challenge. Some people will take to it real well, and you can trust them Mm -hmm. and let them run. Others don't work so well in that environment yet, you know you had to make a quick fix here in many many cases how is how has that gone what, what, what's your take on that
0: there's definitely been some learnings in that and i think um i think you know before covid came in and we did the remote working a lot of people thought oh remote working is awesome i'd love to do that but then when reality kicked in and they actually had to do that on a day-to-day basis for a period of time it was a very diff- they had a very different view of it afterwards so you know it's what you don't know you don't know sometimes um, people found out that as well you know the biggest issue from working from home is around trust um, and you know unfortunately or well, fortunately or unfortunately sometimes um, you know your leaders will drive that expectation or not drive that expectation so how do you get in front of your leaders to say you know we, we weren't um, an organisation that wanted to be able to measure exactly the outputs that we're doing we had to find other ways of being able to make sure that they were still delivering and felt you know they still had access to all the things they would if they were in a workplace. But it is a difficult um, mindset shift Um, and it can go to extreme. What we almost found is then people when um, kind of our restrictions really um, died off was well, why can't we work from home every day of the week? So there's a, there's a fine line between it being, trying to be as a benefit and supporting to then becoming an entitlement. Um, and so navigating that expectation to some degree um, was really important. Hence why we said two days in the office was, you know, more than reasonable. I'm, I'm a fairly social person. So I, my challenge was very much around, um, I found it really challenging to do remote workshops because um, I liked to be in a room and, and understand. And it wasn't that you couldn't do that. it wasn't like able to but it was just the fact that it had a different feel to it so I think sometimes it's around we have to be very clear about what are the meetings that we need to be in the office for and what days and so we rallied around that and the rest was more flexible so I think it's really about um, creating environments that best support the team in what they have to deliver and their particular I suppose um, uh, behavioural fit I suppose of the team because each team is different unique in in different ways and, and how they have to work
1: well, in two days in the office, it strikes me, is a good thing for another reason, that is culture. I mean, how do you hold together the culture of the organization if so many people are working at home all the time? Because what gets lost, and this is the thing that I missed the most, was the kind of ad hoc conversations you have in an office environment where you're getting a cup of coffee and you bump into a person or somebody sticks their head in your office or your cube and asks you about one thing and you end up having a whole different conversation um, because you got onto something else. Those things don't happen nearly as seamlessly in a remote environment. So having people in the office a couple of days a week, I think is good because it helps keep your culture intact.
0: Absolutely. And don't have an answer for the cultural question unless you do, John. But I think um, what I would say is that, yeah, that that connection piece, that social connection piece is, is important for human beings generally in most cases. Um, and I think what you then lost in some cases with not the workforce being the office, you had to find different ways of creating that remotely. Um, and then there are there are ways we're doing it. Did it hit the same sort of mark as if you're in the office? Not necessarily, but you know, if the way that the business was heading that there was going to be this mix, you had to find a way that worked for you at the end of the day. Um, And for us, typically, um, you know, you talk about the water cooler conversations that you have in the corridor. That was one way that we were able to pick up very quickly around engagement, feedback or, you know, some of the hot spots or feedback. So again, we had to find different ways of being able to do that in a way that wasn't about face to face interaction.
1: Well, we are rapidly running out of time here. This always happens. We, we, we get going talking. and We could talk for a long time, and we, we, we have a very short amount of time to, to hit. So let me ask you one more thing. Um, here at the X Podcast, we wholeheartedly believe everyone should have a job that they love and they're passionate about. So, Matt, what do you love about what you do?
0: Well, I must admit, I, I do love the, the opportunity to be in a leadership role because it is a privilege. I don't see that anything less. And being able to actually work with people where you can have a direct impact on their aspirations, their career, um, even their personally and professionally, it's definitely been something that I've really um, cherished over my fairly long career. I think it's also very fortunate that I work in an industry that has given me so much and so many lessons about myself. So. Tying in HR and people and also having leading teams is definitely something that um, I'm very grateful for, but also um, something that I really am passionate about because being able to see the potential in people and actually getting to see it realized, I think, is something that not many people get the opportunity to do in their careers.
1: Well, Matt, thank you for spending a little time with us today. It's great to talk to such a great HR pro like yourself and to get your perspective. We really appreciate you being here.
0: Thanks so much, John, I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: So for the Fuel uh, Fuel 50 Talent X podcast, this is John Holland. Thanks again for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the TalentX Podcast.
1: For more talent experience and future of work conversations, visit talentexpodcast.com.
0: Follow us on Twitter at TalentX Podcast.
1: Or join the conversation with hashtag TalentX Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter.
0: TalentX, the Talent Experience Podcast was brought to you by the fabulous Fuelies at Fuel50.